Hi, this is Joe Battaglia, author of The Politically Incorrect Jesus, and you are listening to On Faith's Edge with the inimitable Joe Taylor. So many times we will make a mistake that will make us feel so ashamed or so guilty or so angry, and we'll cross our arms over our chest and say, you know what, I am not talking to God about this, because if I do, he's going to hit me over the head. Joe Pataglia, you are quite a guy yourself. Thank you so much for the introduction. Joe is quite a unique thought leader in the Christian community. He'll likely surprise you on his views of faith and current issues. You can hear my conversation with Joe at onfaithsedge.com slash 44. That's onfaithsedge.com slash 44. Well, welcome to the 113th episode of On Faith's Edge. My name is Joe Taylor, recovering atheist and your servant in Jesus Christ. This is your place to hear conversations about God and living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. I am so excited today to talk with author, leadership consultant, and successful business person, Bob Hassan. And by successful, I mean hugely successful. Bob knows what he's talking about when it comes to leadership. He, along with his good friend, Danny Silk, a successful author in his own right, penned the new book, The Business of Honor, Restoring the Heart of Business, where they lay out a pathway for living with a heart of honor in business and taking the lead in building an honoring culture in your company or your organization. Listen in as Bob and I talk about fatherhood. He'll break down the three areas of relational investment and downloads all kinds of leadership wisdom to us. And for those non-believers, Bob challenges you to a very important experiment. Your recent article on CBN uh, uh, abandon the angry dad, man, uh-huh. that, that touched me personally. Uh, I'm the father of three daughters. My personal relationship with my dad was pretty distant. He worked two or three jobs at any given time. And, uh, I kind of had to learn as I go how yeah. to be a dad. This angry dad concept touched me deeply. Why, why did you feel it was important to write an article like that? I grew up with an angry dad. Uh, he was a beloved physical educa- education teacher, a PE coach in high school and uh, middle uh, middle school. And so I've never, I mean, I went to school, but I have never seen a teacher more loved than him. Uh, after he retired, when he died, um, st- old former students came to the funeral. And I'm talking about 60-year-old people. Wow. Uh, so he just had this incredible relationship. Everybody loved him. But when he came home, you know, he turned into this punishing, angry man. And uh, and so I have a, a, a brother that's uh, 16 or 17 months younger than me. And my mom was, you know, taking tranquilizers all the time to deal with this anger. And you, when you grow up with it, you don't know. So, of course, you know, as I grew up, anger became a part of my life. And, you know, the lens that I saw uh, our Father in Heaven through was his angry, punishing Father. So, you know, Joe, I, I could, I could uh, appropriate God's mercy for you and for everyone else that I pray for, minister to, et cetera, et cetera. But when I went home, it was like, hey, you know what? Um, 
I'm the biggest piece of crap on the world mm. and I am the worst of the worst. And it just took me years and years and years to finally figure out that I'm a love child of God. And so it's sort of the central thing to my story. And I think a lot of men, especially businessmen, deal with this like, hey, I'm going to just go do it on my own because nobody did it for me. You have to think, which is the, as a dad, which is the real me? Is the real me the um, the guy that everybody loves? Is the real me the, the guy that is patient and kind with his coworkers and, and helpful and generous and empathetic? Uh, or is the real me this jerk that when you come home, everybody's walking on eggshells? They're both me. I get to decide through, uh, through the strength of God, I'm going to be the other me, the good me, all the time. All the time. And it's a choice. And I believe, Joe, that that is who you are and that is who I am. And even though I might have a tendency to punish or intimidate, the real me is the love child of God who is in right standing with him, bent towards the Father and loving everyone I come in touch in contact with. At what point did you realize that you were repeating this pattern? The point that I realized that I was repeating this pattern, it came in phases in, in my late 20s and my 30s and my 40s, and I always had the heart to be able to sort of, and this amazing wife who would point out things to me, and so I, I, I did a lot of work you know, over the process of my life. It just wasn't a, like a light bulb turned on. When I had kids, uh, certain certain issues came up. When my kids, when they were young, uh, other issues came up. When they were preteens or teenagers, other issues came up in my in my life. Memories that I was dealing with, and as I saw myself beginning to treat the kids the way that I you know vowed I never would, you know, I just did more work. As my kids got into their twenties and thirties there were more things that I needed to deal with as I was dealing with powerful young adults. I can tell you this, uh, at my funeral, the ch my children are going to get up and be able to say he was the best dad on the planet and my friend. And so if anything that I've done good in my life, it's, it's, it's I've been a really good dad. Only, <laughs> that's just a miracle, really, how I grew up. And leadership is, uh, starts with the family. And leadership yes. starts with your wife and your kids. Man, if we can get that right, I firmly believe it's it's downhill from there, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in our relationship with our children, we go from caretakers to coaches, you know, to, to friends. Yeah. And we're, we still wear the dad hat uh, as honoring people. We see uh, as, as our children are growing up that they're changing and their relationships changing. Let's talk about the business of honor, restoring the heart of business. You wrote this with a, actually a very good friend of yours, Danny Silk. What is honor when it comes to business? I mean, we, we generally know the generic term honor, uh, but you make some distinctions in this book. So let's talk about those distinctions. What is honor when it comes to business? We have two basic definitions and essentially Honor is based on our ability to see what's amazing about people and then treat them the way they deserve. 
we say that people are made in the image of God, and that means we ought to treat them the way He treats them. It's calling out the golden people, seeing what's good. The second piece is, is the art of stewarding relationships well. I happen to believe that in business and in relationships, in uh, our personal lives, relationships are our number one asset. Uh, we haven't been taught a lot about how to steward relationships well uh, in business. It's our view that we're responsible to take good care of our relationships. A business is an ecosystem of relationships. Some tend to be focused on profit and stock price and ROI, but at the end of the day, if our, we believe that uh, relationships aren't uh, taken care of, then we could lose productivity or profitability. So honor to, to us just means serving people well. In the the associate meetings, I guess you would say, I don't. Things like this are always talked about. Hey, our people are first. Let's make our people first. They're our most important asset. But sometimes that doesn't happen when it comes to the day to day operations. How do we? How do we? How do? How do we as leaders bring ourselves from talking the talk to walking the talk? That's a great question. Um, you know, in the first chapter of Business of Honor, we talk about one of the more famous. Uh, companies in America, Enron, that went bankrupt in 2001, and they had all the banners and all the, the everything plastered all over their walls that we're a great company, we take care of our people, uh, we're transparent, and the outside-facing piece of their company were, were, were pointing to this culture, but behind the scenes, the leaders were doing exactly the opposite. That company took over 100,000 jobs, both with Enron and the Arthur Anderson Company, into bankruptcy, and those jobs and benefits and everything were lost because the people behind the leadership wasn't walking the walk. So, the way that one of the ways that I believe in walking the walk is being accountable, being willing to have feedback, and having uh, the ability for people in our lives to speak into our lives. Um, and that comes back sort of to this identity. Are we walking in an identity uh, of this orphan identity, or are we walking in the identity of being loved children of God? You talk a lot about identity in this book. It's it's threaded throughout uh, the, the whole book, Bob. Uh, how does How does our identity impact our leadership, both in business and personally? Stephen Covey says, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. Going back to our conversation of the angry dad, if our lens is that, like mine was, of uh, an angry dad, and then translating that to an angry father in heaven, I'm going to realize that I, I have to take care of myself. And if I have to take care of myself, uh, I'm going to adapt a mentality of not trusting people. Classically, we understand what an orphan is. An orphan is somebody without parents. The orphan identity comes into play when, as orphans believe that there's no one to take care of them, the orphan identity says, there's no one to take care of me for whatever reason, and I'm going to do that myself. And it infects our relationship with God. Where we might be walking through in business or in ministry, micromanaging 
because we don't believe that um, we're going to be taken care of, we turn into people that we don't want to be. Like you said earlier, who, which one is my true self? And the reason we talk a lot about identity is because we believe if you, if one can find their identity in Christ, find the position that they're loved no matter what they do, uh, then that is going to translate into leadership towards people in a different way. In the book, and I don't know if you use this use this exact term or not, I know it is something called imposter syndrome, where you just don't believe that you have what it takes, and you're just kind of fooling everybody. Uh, do you find that leaders walk in this imposter syndrome in this sense that they're going to be found out at any moment? And how do they move from that? Well, it's a choice. And yes, we do address it. And again, there's a great book by Stephen Mansfield called The Ten Signs of a Leadership Crash, <clears throat> where he goes over ten you know, indicators that, that a leader that a leader might be starting to circle the drain. And one of, one of those 10 signs is, uh, what you called an imposter syndrome where, um, it's just not reality. I come back to over and over again. Um, isolation is the cause of a lot of, a lot of these 10 signs of the crash. If we're isolated and we don't have either friends or our spouses or, or, or people that we work with who are, have permission to speak into our lives and to ask questions, uh, we will get isolated further. And we all know that uh, a leader who is dealing with fear or is scared can come to a place where there's no way that they'll receive feedback. So receiving feedback is a uh, is is this position that keeps us uh, humble and keeps us in touch. In fact, in in chapter six, you talk about this. Uh, you talk about the three areas, I guess, uh, relational investments, telling the truth, receiving well, and serving well. How are those fundamental to conducting yourself in, in a way that, that is honorable? It seems a simple thought, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, Danny points out that exchanging the truth is what builds trust. So as you and I enter into a relationship and we, when we talk, when you hear me tell, being vulnerable with you and intimate and telling you what the truth of my life is, that I have an angry dad and this is, this is the struggle that I went through, you begin to trust me, you know, a percentage at a time until wherever our relationship goes, um, I could be a, you know, a, a highly trusted individual in your life because I've been willing to tell the truth, which en encourages you to tell the truth. That happens in business. In business, uh, did I make a mistake? Do I stand up and say, hey, uh, my bad. I made this decision that lost the company half a million dollars. There's a fear of being rejected or even terminated in, in the business sense. But if we're a team and our value and our goal is to tell the truth as we work together to complete a project or the mission of the company, and a team member comes and said, you know, this this decision I made outside of the group cost us half a million dollars, hopefully the group's going to say, okay, well, let's figure out how to rectify this. Let's figure out how we can mitigate the damage and turn it around, and we're all going to give our best for you to try to fix the problem. That telling the truth in a business sense is there are, there are those leaders who do operate that way. 
receiving well is to me i've i've I like to delegate to people and then I like to let them trust them to do what their jobs are so I'm asking for input and feedback from them. How can I help you? You're doing a good job. Uh, I, I'm, I'm spending time receiving on both ends their input for what I need to do or what, the, what the, their task needs to do and how it impacts the team and my input for uh, trying to help them. And serving well, I, I mean, I, I could bring it to a point of saying meeting people's needs. Every business exists to serve its customers. Uh, we provide goods or services uh, that meet their needs or solve problems. So if we're going to do that as a company or a team, we have to make sure our own needs are met. I think that relational, the thing that we're pointing out in the book here is relationally, people want to feel a sense of belonging on a team or within a company and a mission. And our point is that if we build a relational culture, then we believe productivity and profitability will increase because you'll have teams all throughout a company who feel a sense of belonging and are on mission. You wrote this book with, uh, as we mentioned before, your friend Danny Silk. Why was that? Im- how was that important to you? And why was that significant? Why was that that the team of Bob Hassan and, and Danny Silk uh, significant to writing this book? Danny wrote. He's written six books, you know, from loving your kid on pur- kids on purpose to keep your love on. But his two, the two books that really impacted me were Culture of Honor and um, Keep Your Love On. And Culture of Honor discusses how we can build a culture of honor through uh, organizations and personally. Keep Your Love On is a book talking about it's the best book on relationships i've ever read by the way if you haven't read it it is it is something else and it's connection communication boundaries so i read those books and they i i found out that they it gave language to how i felt how i operated my life and my business and i never really had the language for it so as we you know continued in our friendship he was having requests over the nine years since Sculpture of Honor's been out to do a work about business and honor. And so he, he asked me to help him do that. I made the mistake of telling the Lord about five or six years ago that I would say yes to people that I trust. So obviously I trust him, and he asked me, and I said yes. And I went from um, never thinking that I was going to write a book to actually writing a book. So the, the the incredible partnership that we have is he's a thought leader, um, he's a pastor. He's been through uh, he's been through countless scenarios in leadership training and relationship training, and I think that that uh, his his experiences paired with mine made a made a book that made sense about the softer side of business. So we've talked a lot about about what's what's in the business of honor. We've talked about uh, identity and relational investment and and the imposter syndrome concept. Although I don't, I'm not sure you use that that phrase in the book. Take us through the general core message of the business of honor and how do you and how you hope people are changed by this book. The core message is 
look at your identity. Figure out, are you operating your life as a loved child of God? Do you believe that he loves you and is proud of you? Or are you operating as uh, within an orphan identity of uh, that, that pretty much is mistrust and shame and guilt and these voices that you that are you hear in your head about how bad you are that you're prone to making mistakes and it's all your fault. There's a marked difference in those two identities, and obviously there's a continuum between <clears throat> between the two. We want to make sure that uh, you know the foundation of identity is 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 talked about. We do spend a bit of time talking about that. I think when you open a business book, you're thinking, well, are we going to talk about P&L and balance sheets and cash flow proformas and ROI? Um, this this book um, really is talking about the softer side. We move from there into how do we honor in relationships? You know, what What does that look like, honoring in business relationships or relational investment we have we just have some great writing about that and then we we transition that into the third chapter about honor and leadership what do honoring leaders look like and one of the things that we've done through this book is we have quoted um authors from jim collins uh, daniel pink stephen mansfield we've used case studies from harvard business school and studies from Google about how they think relational investment and into teams should be. And it's, it's surprising that whether you're talking about religious organizations or major companies in the world or, or secular writers or religious writers, everybody is coming to the conclusion that, you know, building relationships and culture is hugely important to successful teams. And so rather than being, you know, just some guy who writes, Hey, you know what? Be nice to everybody and build a culture. Um, I, we, Danny and I wanted to take, you know, real world case studies out there and show that this is, this is a accepted principle. The book is the business of honor, restoring the heart of business by Bob Hassan and Danny Silk. And it is an important book for our times. Can we take a little while and take a, and talk about your personal faith? Yeah. How did you come to believe in Jesus Christ? It was interesting. I was in my freshman year of college. Um, I grew up with a younger brother in a, in a Jewish by heritage family. My parents were essentially agnostic at the time. And my brother had had a hard time in middle school and high school, and I was away at college, and he called me, and I could tell instantly, you know, like, what's wrong with you? And he started, oh, I'm so happy, and this has changed, and this is great, and I stopped all these behaviors, and, and, and I love Jesus. And I, what? Uh, what are you talking about? Because all we heard growing up was uh, our Lord's name taken in vain. That weekend, I got my Volkswagen bug and drove down to find out what happened. What happened to you? And here, here he was, sitting peacefully. Um, and he took me to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and on Easter Sunday, and 
1977 or 8, I accepted Christ. There was I was wearing OP shorts and a hang ten shirt and, and no <laughs> flip flops. No and I know here I was. I didn't know then. I was just to, in, right in the middle and the end of the Jesus movement there, and and so there was all kinds of people in this church that looked just like me, uh, and I, you know I found a place to believe. How old were you at the time? Eighteen. You you didn't grow up a Christian. You grew up, of course, as uh, as you put it, probably a more an agnostic family. Uh, yes. Since coming to faith at eighteen years old, through right now as we're talking, uh, have you ever questioned your faith or even the existence of God? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, if you can imagine uh, an eighteen-year-old. Uh, Finding the Lord, that means I'm 59 now, so I've been in faith for 41 years as an adult, and I made all my mistakes in Christ. Through all those years of, you know, of making mistakes and repenting and continuing to make mistakes, uh, I found the grace and the peace of Jesus. Was it hard? Yeah. <laughs> I've had some really hard trials in my life um, from, uh, you know, in business struggles, struggles in my marriage and struggles with relationships and with my kids. But, but I always came back to the same place, like, where else would I go? It, I, there's, I can't go any other place than back to Jesus. Uh, and some of the toughest decisions I've had to make when customers around me in different recessions in the 80s, 90s, and the 2000s were going bankrupt and we weren't being paid um, that caused incredible amounts of stress. Where could I go except just back to him and ask him to protect me? And he, and he did. We, we've, we have incredible stories of trials and tribulation, but, but he's been faithful and he's good. You're the founder and CEO of a large painting contracting company, and yes. you've, uh, you're also a business consultant. You've been on the board of churches and ministries and nonprofit organizations, including school boards. Uh, mm -hmm. You wrote a book called The Business of Honor. So this may be a tough question. Just, just track with me. Have you, ever, have you ever had a time in business where... It was. It seemed to be the right thing to do to just kind of set aside your principles of faith, and to and to take a shortcut for the sake of, for the sake of profit, for the sake of expediency, for the sake of a, even saving a relationship, or saving your business for that matter. Yes, I have, and I've, and I've actually taken those shortcuts. Um, but. At a point in time, I've seen the correct what what I should have done correctly, and I've and I've repented. But if we're bent towards Him, and if our hearts are really trying to do the right thing, then we shouldn't walk around in uh, shame and guilt for the mistakes that we've made. Uh, he came to die on the cross for that. He shed His blood for that. He. Um, is here for us and wants us to do well. He is proud of us. He believes in us and he loves us. And 
Um, so no mistake that anyone has ever made uh, precludes us from Christ. And the grace and peace in Jesus is what I long for. When anxiety is ratcheted up, when fear is ratcheted up, I'm looking for peace. And that's what I find. If we're honest with ourselves and we do cross that line, what do we do? This is one of the things that I talk about and I'm really passionate about is shortening the time between we recognize a mistake or a sin or a problem or an issue, shortening the time before we come back to the Lord or we come current with the people. So many times we will make a mistake that will make us feel so ashamed or so guilty or so angry or, you know, you fill in the emotion and we'll cross our arms over our chest and say, you know what? I am not talking to God about this, because if I do, he's going to hit me over the head. I am not talking to that person about this, because I'm not going to give them the satisfaction of knowing that they hurt me or that I'm having a problem with them. So my advice is shorten the time. If you, if, if you have a, if you have a d- disrespectful conversation with a friend, a spouse, a coworker, don't wait one week, two weeks, three weeks, a month to go back and make it better or just act like it didn't happen. Go back as soon as you're aware and say, dude, oh, man, am I sorry. I, I don't know what was going on with me, but I reacted poorly. You know, I'm sorry. Go, go to the Lord and say, Lord, I've done this thing. Um, I'm struggling to positionally understand that you love me no matter what and that you aren't going to punish me for this. Please forgive me. And you'll find anxiety decreasing and love increases. First John 4 uh, talks about fear cannot coexist with love because fear has to do with punishment. And I find in our society, uh, we are dealing with fear uh, in every area. And so my, for me, I'm trying to reduce fear, reduce anxiety, increase love, and increase uh, relationships. Finally, Bob, as we wrap up, what would you say to that person that is right on faith's edge, making that choice to believe or not to believe in God? Do an experiment. Just do an experiment. If you're if you're right on that line, if you're a businessman, if you're a if you're a leader, if you're a family person, if you're a child, if you are right on the edge, ask the Lord to reveal Himself to you. Maybe you have an issue that is a circumstance that you're very worried about. Ask Him to take it. See what happens. Do an experiment. At the end of the day. He is who he says he is or he's not. And I think that in my life, um, I've done that experiment over and over again with many areas, but the Lord's faithful. I don't think we can say anything more than that. The book is The Business of Honor by Bob Hassan and Danny Silk, Restoring the Heart of Business. What an important book, man, an important message. Thank you for hanging out with me today. Oh, Joe, thank you so much. This was just, I feel, I just feel so honored that you asked. God bless you, brother. Bob's website is bobhasson.com. That's B-O-B-H-A-S-S-O-N.com. And the Business of Honor can be found on amazon.com. 
These links, as well as links to Danny Silk's work, can be found in today's show notes at onfaithsedge.com slash 113. That's onfaithsedge.com slash 113. I love bringing you engaging conversations about faith. If this show today entertained you, encouraged you, or informed you, or brought value to you or your life in any way whatsoever, will you consider financially backing the show by using any Amazon link at onfaithsedge.com? We'll get a modest commission from the purchase, but it doesn't cost you a penny more. That'll wrap up today's show. Thank you so much to Bob Hassan for being with us, and thank you for listening. You mean a lot to me, and you mean a lot to this show. Remember, God is real. He loves you, and so do I. God bless. Thank you for listening to On Faith's Edge. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher Internet Radio, or your favorite podcast app on Android, Apple, or Windows devices. To reach out to Joe or leave comments about the show, visit onfaithsedge.com. You're important to us, and we would love to hear from you. 